time I saw him working on the tail feather part of the arrow. Then I also saw him tweaking the bow, and he was oiling it, and he was tightening the, I don't know, string, leather, whatever it is. I don't know enough about bows and arrows. And um, I just saw God's hands at work, and I, I saw a sharpening, I saw a tightening, I saw an equipping, I saw a preparing, and then I saw a releasing as God released the arrows. And they were flying towards their target with even greater accuracy than before. And uh, so from that picture, and, and any one of us would know, an arrow is a weapon if it's in a bow and it gets fired off. Otherwise, it's just a stick with a piece of iron on and some feathers on the end. Um, and God hasn't called you just to be a stick with some feather on, feathers on and a little piece of iron on the top standing in a corner, but he's actually called you to be an arrow that he can shoot off into the things that he's called you to do. And so, I, yeah, I really felt that the Father was wanting to take you as a church into a new level of effectiveness and impact. I felt that there was a new fruitfulness coming. And I also believe that the Father's actually calling you to a new level of spiritual warfare as a local church. Um, there, there's this new season where you will accurately, accurately hit the target as master archers. Um, and so I believe he wants each and every one of you trained as individual warriors in his army. He wants to train your hands for war. He wants to change your position. And he wants to make you more accurate at hitting the targets he's going to provide. And I, I felt him drop in my heart this morning, Psalm 144, verse 1 to 2. And it just says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and in him who I take refuge, who subdues peoples around me or under me. And so I really believe that there's a season that he's going to train your spiritual muscles. I believe he's developing them, strengthening them. It's a season where you need to be pressing into him like you've never pressed into him before. It's a season of learning. It's a season of devouring the word of God. It's a season of training and schooling in the spirit and in the gifts that's going to result in much, much fruit. I felt that means he wants to correct your stance as individual people. He wants to correct your stance so that he can fire off arrows of prayer, arrows of truth, arrows of prophetic words that will hit their intended targets with an even more powerful accuracy than before. And it's a stance in his presence. It's a place on your knees in prayer and in worship. I believe it's a season of spiritual warfare like you've never known before. I really felt God re-emphasize that. I feel that he wants to upskill you, that battles are going to be won on your knees before anything else, before you see the fruit in your hands. He's causing you to rise up, to rise up in prayer, that as you fire those fiery darts of prayer, they will hit their mark, mark. they will change the, the situations, and you will see incredible fruit because of it. I had a dream in the week, and I went into an office. I'd, I apparently had been employed in the office, and I, a series of events revealed to me that I, I had been doing this job for a very long time, but suddenly I didn't know how to do it. And uh, after many, many hours of slow, agonizing work, as someone was trying to reteach me my job, it was realized I couldn't do that job anymore, and I was finally trained for another position. And I felt that that was significant for some of you here this morning. I felt like God was going to strip away the old. He was going to reskill you with new. I felt it was actually, for some of you, about your identity, that he wanted to change your identity, that it's in him and him alone. It's not in what you do or don't do. It's in him. You're a son and a daughter of this great king. I felt the picture also, or that dream also indicated that it's a time for new learning, a time for upskilling in the Holy Spirit, and that God was going to add new gifts to the mix for this new season because the old wasn't good enough anymore. He has so much more for you. And there was a, a real sense that he's sharpening those things that have become blunt and ineffective in some of your lives. And this is said with great love from the Father. In no way is this condemning. In no way is this breaking anyone down. I felt someone here this morning, you've been saying to the Lord, but I don't think I'm able to do this. This isn't me. You felt ill-equipped. You felt not even ready for what he's calling you to. You felt out of your depth. 
you've even felt that you've failed. You've failed him. And I felt the Father saying to you, press into me, and I am and will continue to equip you. I'll empower you, for this calling is mine, and you are my chosen one. He's going to school you through the process of learning and training. And I also felt for someone else that you've doubted that where, that where you are is where you're meant to be. And the Father's saying to you, you're exactly positioned where I want you to be. It's not going to be comfortable, and at times it's feeling like it's completely inconvenient, but it's where I require you to be. And he's asking you to push, push into him because a greater reliance is needed upon him. But as you do that, in the place where you're feeling uncomfortable and don't fit, you're going to find greater influence and effectiveness. And for someone else, I felt the Father say, you're playing in the wrong position. That set of arrows that are in the, the um, bag, quiver, thank you, um, and you think, well, I don't fit, it's, I, I'm playing, maybe I should have been the first arrow, not the last arrow. I just feel like the Father's saying, you aren't playing to your strengths. I want you to play in a new position that's going to bring new freedom and new life to you. You haven't failed. You're simply in the wrong position. And he wants to reposition you, and you're going to see greater fruitfulness. And so I see the hands of God firing arrows out of a bow. And I actually believe you're the bow in the Father's hands. And you are the one that's going to be sending out these arrows into different positions and places in the city. And as you do, newfound freedom and life is going to come to everything that this congregation does in him. Um, yeah, so Joan and Lydia, I really want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. And uh, just to say that there's a greater accuracy coming in the hands of the Father for each one of us to yield, to rest, to be ready, to be prepared, and then he will release you with deadly accuracy. He wants, you, he wants to use each one of you more, not just a few. Each one of you wants to use the whole quiver. Let him use you. You think you're a little bit bent, that your accuracy is not going to get where it needs to be? Father says he's made you the way you are, and he will tighten. He will oil. He will shape, and he will release. Let him do that. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it amazing and wonderful that God speaks? God speaks to us individually. But God also speaks to us as a community, as a church. And certainly what Cole has shared is, is both for you to take personally and to hear what God is saying to you, but also as a church, what is God speaking into the life of this church? And whether it's personal or corporate, it's whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I want to encourage you to unpack what has been shared here. Go before God and say, Lord, what does that mean for me? What adjustments are you asking or needing me to make? And how can I fulfill something of that which you've spoken this morning? All right. Great. Isn't it also awesome to know that uh, we're part of a local church? And the church is central to God's plans in this world and on this earth. It is not the plan. The church is never the plan. Jesus is the plan. But the church is central to that plan. And it's an incredible thing that God has chosen the church to work out his purposes here on earth. And that is an enormous privilege. But with the privilege comes the responsibility. And so we have to understand that as the church, that's you and I, not the building, you and I, as the church, God has an incredible plan and purpose for us. And so if I had to ask you, well, what is the purpose of the church? Which in essence would be your purpose. But even as we just broaden it or generalize it, what is the purpose of the church? And I think many times without us even asking the question, we try and live out the purpose of the church, not always knowing what the purpose of God's church is. And so what they did in America a number of years ago, they actually did a survey amongst Christians, born-again believers, asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? And it was amazing when they pulled all the responses together, they came to this amazing conclusion, amazing in the sense of, you'll hear now, 89% <laughs> of those who surveyed or were surveyed believed that the purpose of the church was to take care of their needs and the needs of their family. 
Only 11% of those surveyed believed that the church existed to win the world to Jesus. And I tell you, I've often thought about that stat and that, and that survey. And I, I, I think sometimes me, personally, can fall into the trap of making the church all about me. <laughs> all about us. And one of the things we're continually telling our church in Nelson, in Nelson it's called Nelson Base Church, is that this church does not exist for you. We love you and we need you to be a part of it. But we don't exist for each other. We exist for those who are still to come into this place. And there was a man by the name of William Temple, who was the one-time Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said this, and, he, and it is amazing truth. He said, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, we, we may not like the word organization, but we get the heart of what he was saying. The church is the only thing, the only organism, the only organization, the only society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And my challenge to you this morning is individually and as a church, exist for those who are still to come in here. That's why the, 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 the heart of this church, what it needs to pump for are those who are not yet here and in relationship with Jesus. And so the title of my message this morning is Evangelism Outside of the Church. <laughs> and I specifically and purposefully use the word outside of the church because for most Christians, including us and our local church, the only evangelism that in many cases we see or involved in is in the form of an altar call on a Sunday. And of course, there's nothing wrong with altar calls. We need to be throwing the net out so people who come into this place can respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm using the term outside of the church because that's where God has called us to go. This in many respects is the refueling station where we come in to receive from God to hear what he is saying, to be empowered by his Holy Spirit, to be ignited by his word so that we can go and be the church as God has called us to be. I was just reminded of myself now as I'm thinking, a, a man by the name of Ernest Southcott said this. He said the, the holiest moment of the church service is the moment when people, strengthened by preaching and sacrament, go out of the church door into the world to be the church. That's the holiest moment. And we can never forget that. And so when I talk about outside of the church, I'm talking about wherever there are people. Whether that's at your workplace, whether it's in the gym, whether it's on the bus, whether it's over the fence with your neighbor, whether it's in the, the queue at Countdown, wherever people are, God has called us to reach out to them and to evangelize them. And so I stand before you this morning, as one who is still on this journey of evangelism outside of the church. Because one of the dangers I face as a pastor is that a lot of my dealings and my friendships and my relationships are with the church, with church people. And so I have to be strategic and I have to be intentional about connecting with the unchurched if I'm going to live the, the title of my message out. And so I don't stand before you as an evangelist, <laughs> but I stand before you as someone who's called to do the work of an evangelist, as every one of us is. And so I trust this morning as I come, yes, part of the, the, the translocal apostolic team, one of my functions is to equip the saints for work of ministry. As so I trust this morning, what I'm going to share is you're going to be equipped to be able to evangelize outside of the church however that looks, and wherever you find yourself. And so, in many respects, I am addressing born-again believers who love God and love people enough to at least talk to them about Jesus, always with the hope of winning some to Christ. That was Paul's heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, he says, I've become all things to all people that I might win some for Christ. So that by all possible means, I might save some. And so I'm speaking to believers who are wanting or at least willing to take the command of Jesus seriously when he said, go and make disciples of all people. 
when, when he said, go everywhere, preaching, speaking, proclaiming the good news of salvation to all of those you come into contact with. And yet the truth is, if we're honest, most times these commands actually numb us rather than inspiring us. Why? Because we see evangelism, which in itself is a, a scary word, but we see it for the elite few, or we see it for the gifted ones, or we see it for the professional, and not for all of God's people. Tony Campala said something which truly has liberated me when it comes to evangelism. And his definition of evangelism is this. Evangelism is the thing you do while you're doing the thing you enjoy. Whatever that thing may be, except, of course, sin. Eh? <laughs> but evangelism is the thing you do while you're doing the thing you enjoy. So if you enjoy going to the gym, that's your mission field. That's evangelism. It's you doing that while you're pumping iron. You're ministering. You're sharing. You're smiling. You're the fragrance of Christ to those around you, wherever you are. And so when Jesus said go, in essence, he was saying, as you are going about your day, make disciples. <laughs> as you go, whether it's to work or to the shops or, or on the rugby field, wherever you are, the call is to go and share the good news of Jesus with those you come into contact with. The ones you're rubbing shoulders with on a daily basis, on a base, daily basis, you're emanating the love of Jesus to them. And so the thing we have to understand about this, that it is a natural thing. <laughs> and it needs to become such a natural thing for us. It becomes a, it becomes a lifestyle that we live. <laughs> and as such, it needs to become a culture, both in our lives and in our church. And a culture is something that's got to be formed. It's got to be fashioned. Culture doesn't happen overnight. But it's something we've got to be intentional about and strategic in. But here's the biggie. You will only share your faith with others if you want to. <laughs> Hence who I'm addressing this morning. But the Father wants us to. He's desperate to reconcile people to himself through Christ. And he's given us this incredible privilege of carrying and bearing this message of reconciliation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20, Paul says, "We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us." And friends, nothing has changed. We are still Christ's ambassadors whom God is making his appeal through us. And what is the, the, the appeal? It's what Paul says, we implore you. And everywhere you find yourself, the heart is to implore those who do not yet know Jesus to be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's the message. And this word reconcile is to make friendly after estrangement. <laughs> That's what it means. It's to restore friendly relations between man and God. That is God's mission, or that is God's mandate, and that is our mission as Christ's ambassadors. To see and to implore people to become friends with God. <laughs> Rather than living at enmity with God. You know, in Luke chapter 15, an amazing chapter. Jesus shows us just how valuable people are to God. And the gist of that chapter is that something of great value was missing. And if you know the chapter, there are three parables. And in the first parable, a sheep goes missing. And you ask a shepherd how valuable a sheep is. They'll tell you. In the second parable, a coin goes missing. And you ask a widow who only had 10 coins just how valuable one of those 10 coins are. And then in the third parable, a son goes missing. And in the same way, ask any parent how valuable a child is. Three parables to communicate one truth. 
lost people matter to God. And if they matter to God, surely they've got to matter to us. And friends, can I say that's the revelation we need? Otherwise, nothing will change. We'll never be intentional about evangelism until this revelation breaks into our hearts and into our lives of how valuable people are to God, the lost. Now, of course, the truth is God could have sent angels <laughs> to tell people about Jesus. He could have. But you know what? He's chosen you and I to do it. What a privilege. What a privilege. And in Matthew 16, 15, he said it clearly. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share the good news to all creation. But the sobering truth is this. If we don't do it, and if we don't take responsibility for it, it won't be proclaimed, and souls will be lost for all eternity. And so I've said all of that to really get into the heart of what I want to share this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, please, won't you turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to read five verses and I've got five points. I know good preachers are only supposed to have three points, but I stretched it a little bit this morning, and I've got five points out of these five verses of Scripture. And so let's unpack this a little. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse, uh, from verse 2 through to verse 6. And this, of course, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, Devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so it's amazing in these five verses, I believe Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us five keys on how we can be effective in evangelizing outside of the church. And so number one, first key, that if we're going to be intentional about evangelism, then it's got to start with prayer. And that's what he says here in verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful for the opportunity. Watchful for an opening of the gospel, for the gospel. And then thankful when it comes along. And so evangelism begins in our prayer closets. Because the truth is, unless we are intentional about praying for those that we want to evangelize, we'll actually never be intentional about sharing the gospel with them. Bottom line, praying for those you want to reach sets the stage for actually reaching them. And I'm talking about strategic evangelism. Those whom God puts on your heart. Those whom God clearly has, has, has illuminated or highlighted them to you. I know there are many other occasions, we'll get into something of the opportunities later, where you come across someone you've never met, so you've never had an opportunity to pray for them, and God drops something in your heart for them, or, or urges you to go and talk to them, or whatever it may be. But all of us have family members, all of us have friends, all of us have neighbors that don't know Jesus. And evangelism starts by us praying for them before we do anything. In fact, I believe in the three P's. <laughs> Pick, pray, and prioritize. Pick those whom God is highlighting to you and begin to pray for them. And then prioritize them by building rapport and relationship with them. Are we talking about prayer? And so in our praying, we're asking God to prepare their hearts for the seed of the gospel. That starts in prayer. And you know, I've come to realize that those who are most receptive to the gospel 
are those in transition and those under tension. In other words, change and pain. God uses change and pain to get people's attention. Look out for it. And so you're praying that God would give you an opportunity to speak to these people. You're also praying that they would then be open and receptive to what you have to say to them. You're praying that you would be a good ambassador as you go about your day. You're praying that the fragrance of Christ in you is what would turn heads and get people's attention. Prayer. Prayer is what opens the door for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Let's never forget it. And then Paul keeps going here. In verse 3, he says, Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim it. And we'll look at the proclaiming shortly. But he's so focused on this first point. Pray. Pray that God may open a door. And friends, can I tell you, there are God-given doors of opportunity around every corner. And it's our praying for them and about them that allows us to see them and to realize them and to hopefully then walk through them. But it so often starts with prayer. Because here's the thing, if you are not expecting any divine opportunities, you know what? You'll never be aware of them. And you'll end up walking right past them, missing them. It's the old adage, if you aim for nothing, you're going to hit nothing. And it's the same with evangelism. And so I don't always get it right. But most mornings, I start my day as I'm about to head out into whatever that day looks like. As I say, Lord, please, won't you help me to see and to be aware of the opportunities that you bring and are going to bring across my path today? I don't want to miss them. It's prayer. And then he goes on in verse 4, as if to really make sure we get this. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And so as you're gauging the situation, as you're talking with the person, as you're looking to steer the conversation towards Christ, you're asking God to help you to proclaim it clearly. To proclaim and to share His love clearly and fully with them. To be able to sow some seed into their hearts that will bring life and clarity in terms of the gospel. And so that's the first key to evangelism, prayer. And you're praying for God to not only help you see these divine opportunities, but also for the wisdom and the ability to make the most of them, that you might proclaim the message clearly. And so prayer has to precede evangelism. And that's the first key. If we're going to be effective in doing the work of, 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 of an evangelist outside of the church, it starts with prayer. Let's get heart, God's heart. Let him break our hearts for those who don't know him. And that happens in your prayer closet, in your alone time with God. Second key is what we read here in verse 5, when Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. In other words, unbelievers. You know, I wish more Christians would take this to heart when dealing with unbelievers. Because Christians have a culture. Some culture of the culture is good and others not always so good. And Christians have a language called Christianese that actually means nothing to unbelievers. <laughs> and so it's not helpful for you to say, someone, have you, to say to someone, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? You're going to scare them a mile away. You know, sometimes we can, we can sound and act so spiritual that it's almost a spooky spirituality. And all it does is just brings about a cringe factor and gives Christianity a bad name. That's not what God's called us to do. So telling someone to, to turn or burn may not be the wisest thing <laughs> that we can do. Huh? <laughs> and so the point is we've got to be both real and relevant, and especially when it comes to the outsider, to the unbeliever, in the way we act towards them. You know, another translation says, be wise in your behavior towards outsiders. In other words, don't be and behave like the world. 
God has called us to be different. And sometimes we want to think that we've got to become like the world in order to reach the world. No. The world are tired of seeing people like themselves. They need to see something different. And as Christ's followers, we are called to be different. Another survey was done a number of years ago trying to discern or distinguish the difference between Christians and non-Christians. And they asked a whole variety of questions to determine what is the actual difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. You know what? They could only come up with two differences. Do you know what they were? Christians go to church more often than non-Christians. And Christians complain more than non-Christians. What an indictment. That that could be the only two differences they found between Christians and non-Christians. And so let me say it is important what people think of you. And yes, of course, our character is always far more important than our reputations. I understand that. But still, our reputations and the impressions that we have on people is important. And it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. That's what our lives should cause. Let's move on. Third key, he goes on, he says, make the most of every opportunity. That's from the New International Version. The ESV says, making the best use of the time. And may I add the occasion. And so my encouragement to you is, make a predetermined decision not to be too busy for a person or for an opportunity. Determine that before you leave your home, before you come into contact with people, that you're not going to be too busy for them or too busy for the, for the opportunity. Why? Because again, let me say, there are opportunities around every corner. The question is, what are we going to do with them? And I don't know about you, but I've missed too many of them. Too many. And I'm beginning to realize as I get older that time is too short to keep missing them. The harvest is too ripe to keep missing them. These God-ordained opportunities. Listen to what Jesus says here in John 4, 35. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Every moment of every day, every context, every situation, every person, they're ripe for harvest. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of God's favor. Now. <laughs> Not next month, next year. Now, today, is the day of salvation. You know, when Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray, remember in Gethsemane? He left them behind. He said, watch and pray as he went off to, to commune with the Father. The same is true for evangelism. You've prayed for the opportunity. Now watch for it so that it doesn't pass you by. And these opportunities, can I say, are opportunities to sow seed. They're opportunities to water other seed. They may even be opportunities to harvest some seed. But whatever they are, expect them and make the most of them. And that's what Paul's saying. And so the challenge is, is that we are alert to these opportunities. And we live with the anticipation that people are going to cross our paths. And then what are we going to do with it? How ready and prepared are we? Because when God brings people across our path, let me tell you, there's something divine in it. And that's why I don't believe in coincidences as much as I believe in God incidences with the people I come into contact with. The fourth key is what we see here in verse 6. And Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, 
seasoned with salt. And you know what? It's this heart and it's this demeanor that wins people over. And so our speech, our words need to be gracious, full of grace. Why? Because people find it hard to resist grace. But they also need to be salty. <laughs> they need to be wholesome. It needs to be pure. It needs to be clean. Just as salt was used as a preservative to prevent food from decaying, so in the same words, our words need to prevent decay from breaking into people. But the other thing about salt is that it's palatable. It's tasty. Salt brings flavor. Salt is, 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 is something that actually people want because it brings flavor. It's palatable. It's tasty. And therefore, it's pleasant to the hearer. It leaves a good taste. And friends, that's what our conversation needs to be like. And so it's grace and salt working together. And in the same way as grace and salt work together, so the challenges us, challenges us to be both tactful and bold when it comes to sharing our faith with people. And then it's interesting how Paul uses words like proclaim and conversation when it comes to evangelism. Why? Because people won't figure the gospel out on their own. And that's why Paul says what he says in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, when he says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, talking to them, sharing with them? Augustine said something that is really profound but I think has been misinterpreted by many Christians. When he said, preach the gospel always and sometimes use words. And I remember as a young Christian hearing that. And I thought, man, that's so true. And so I try to preach the gospel purely with my lifestyle and my example. Because I thought that was enough. It's not enough. Almost it's like saying, Feed the hungry always and sometimes use food. <laughs> Doesn't actually achieve or accomplish much. I think what would be better is, yes, preach the gospel always, but don't forget to use words. Because words are important. And so, absolutely, don't hear what I'm not saying. Our example and our lifestyle is important. It's incredibly powerful. It's a necessary component of who we are. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have written in 1 Peter 2.12 when he said, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And so, yes, we must live an attractive life. Not a perfect life, <laughs> but an attractive life. Because the truth is, if we, if we are annoying, or grumpy, or high maintenance, we're going to end up repelling people rather than attracting people to Christ. Not so. But as necessary as example is, can I say it is not enough? It is not enough. And why do I say that? Well, simply for this reason, that there are closet Christians who spend their whole lives trying to be an example through their lifestyle and through their conduct but never come out of the closet. <laughs> never come out of it. And they could just as well be a Buddhist or a morally upright person or just plain nice, but that hardly ever wins anyone to cross. I remember R.T. Kendall telling a story of a lady who, 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 who took something of this to heart and she said, well, I don't need to actually tell anyone I'm a Christian. They're going to see it in me. They're going to notice it. And so she went about her life and her, her, her work situation. And eventually about three years later, someone sidles up to her and says, I've noticed over these last few years, there's something different about you. And she said, oh, at last, 
Someone has noticed. This is what she thought. And the lady person said to her, actually, I think I know what the difference is. You're a vegetarian, aren't you? <laughs> Friends, there comes a time where we've got to articulate the gospel by spelling out who God is, what kind of damage our sin has caused, and share something of the forgiveness and the life that Christ offers to those who come to Him. We've got to spell it out. We've got to speak it and help people understand it. Which leads to my fifth and final key. So that you may know how to answer everyone. The truth is people are looking for answers. People are looking for meaning to life. And you know what? We have the answer. <laughs> and that answer is Jesus. And so don't assume that people are disinterested in spiritual things. In fact, I think it's the opposite. They are desperate for reality. Desperate for purpose and for meaning to life. And you know what? They desperately need what we've got. And that's why we've got to start some spiritual conversations to see who's interested in what we've got so that we can share it with them. And you know what? You start doing this and you'll be surprised by not only how open, how many are open to what you've got to say, but who are genuinely interested in your story and what you're offering to them. I think the devil has sold us a lie by getting us to believe that people don't want to hear what we've got to say. And we've bought into that. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason or asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, do it full of grace, seasoned with salt. And so when someone comes to you and asks you, well, why are you different? <laughs> or you hit a, a bit of a hump in the road and they, and they watch your life and they come and they say, how come when you under pressure or you were under pressure, you didn't rant and rave, you didn't throw your toys out? Or they come to you and they say, how come it is that you are so concerned about the situation or, or you care so much for that person? What are you going to say? I'm going to say, well, that's just how I am. I'm relaxed. I'm a happy-go-lucky person. I've adopted the attitude of, she'll be all right. <laughs> How prepared are you to give people the reason for the hope that you have? You know, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I will study and prepare, and then my opportunity will come. And I want to say the same is true for evangelism. Let's not miss opportunities because we're unprepared. Unprepared for them or what we're going to say and how we're going to answer them and give the reason for the hope that we have. And so, yes, of course, our lives must be attractive. We wouldn't have been called the fragrance of Christ. We wouldn't be the light or the salt if, if our lives weren't to be attractive. In fact, if they weren't attractive, why would anyone even ask then to give the reason for the hope that we have? And so, yes, some people will be reached by attraction. But you know what? The majority will be reached by confrontation. As we are proactive and front-footed in taking the gospel to them and sharing the love of Christ with them. And if not the gospel, then at least taking the initiative to steer the conversation towards the gospel and spiritual things. Knowing that God's backing us. God's rooting for us. Why? Because it's His will that none perish, but all come to repentance in Christ. And so let me close with this. How do we start spiritual conversations? That we might know how to answer everyone. So how do we actually start these spiritual conversations with people? Well, I want to give you three ways we can do it. And I'm almost done. <laughs> the first is the direct way. And here we don't wait for an opportunity to speak about spiritual things. We create one. And then we see if the person is willing 
or, or, or interested to talk about what we've got to say. Isn't that what Jesus did with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? You know, Jesus offering her living water got her attention. And so the next time someone says to you, you know, how are things going? You can say, well, work's going well. The family are doing really good. But spiritually, I'm flying. Which of these do you want to talk about? <laughs> and so in this way, we initiate the conversation and engage people with the gospel. It's the direct way. And yes, of course, it's going to require us to be intentional about that and to be bold in it. Because sometimes time doesn't allow us to spend weeks, months, or years trying to build a bridge in which to speak. We've got to take those proverbial bull by the horns and get in and, and, and speak life and hope to them. But the second way is the indirect way, which is us now turning the conversation of ordinary things to matters of God or the church or faith. A pastor friend of mine was once asked what he did for a living. And his response was, I take care of another man's bride. Let me tell you, that got their attention. There was no way they were just going to let that sit there. They had to know, wow, what kind of job is that? I want that job. And it was an open door for them to speak into their lives. Or maybe for you, you get to work tomorrow morning. What about saying to your work colleague, asking them how their weekend was? Because hopefully then they're going to ask you how your weekend was. And you can tell them if you were Joe's party yesterday, what a great time we had, or how good the rugby was or wasn't. I don't know the score, so don't tell me. But then you can also tell them, man, but church on Sunday was phenomenal. We had such an incredible time in God's presence. And there was this preacher from Nelson who, who said some things that really challenged me. But what is my point here? Let's open the door and see where it goes. Or maybe you move into a new area. It's a great opportunity to tell people how ideally located it is. Did you know it's only 20 minutes from work? But hey, the best part is it's only 10 minutes from church. So what am I trying to say? The goal is to raise the topic. And if the door opens, you go through it. If not, you move on. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? In Luke chapter 10, look for the person of peace. Because you don't ever want to pick fruit before it's ripe. Eh? And then the third one, in terms of starting spiritual conversation, is just the invitational way. It's the direct way, the indirect way, and the invitational way, which is about developing a culture of invitation. It's about inviting people to the things that matter most to you things that you're hosting as a church, things that you're involved in. But you know what? The worst that can happen is that they can decline the invitation. They can say no. But what it does do is it tells them what's important to you. But in all three of these, let me just say, pray intentionally. Pray for God to open the door and for you to see those opportunities. Secondly, talk one-on-one. -on -one. Much better than trying to talk to a group. Thirdly, create curiosity. Drop hints that they hopefully respond to. Ask leading questions. See if they'll take the bait. And then seize split-second opportunities. Don't be ignorant of them or unprepared for them. Because it's one thing to see them, it's another thing altogether to seize them. And yes, it's going to take courage, but go for it. A little helpful acronym that I try and remind myself of when it comes to evangelism. You know, we call to be SALT, S-A-L-T. S, start a conversation with people, wherever you are. Start a conversation with them. A, ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. <laughs> Remember, the gospel is not telling, it's dialoguing. L, listen to the person. 
And as you're listening to what the person of, of the questions, how they're answering your questions, listen to the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to give you a door in there. And then the T is tell your story of Christ's redeeming love and of his power and how he's changed your life. And so when it comes to evangelism and starting spiritual conversations, there are two doors that you can go through. One is safe, it's familiar, uneventful. The other is risky. It's uncharted, but it's full of spiritual potential. The question is, which door will you choose? Which door are you going to choose tomorrow morning? On the bus. Which door are you going to choose when you get into your work situation? Or when you connect with a colleague or a friend? There's only two choices. You can play it safe or you can go out on a limb and watch what God does. Watch what he does. Evangelism outside of the church. It's the call of God for every single believer let's bow our heads what a tragedy it would be for us to hear your word this morning and then to be like the man who looked at himself in the mirror went away and immediately forgot what he looked like this morning Lord we say we want to respond to the truth of your word. We want to respond to the call. The call to evangelize outside of the church. As we understand something of your heart, something of your mandate, we want to step into our mission. We want to become and be the ambassadors that you've called us to be. That wherever we go and whoever we dialogue with. In our hearts, we're imploring them to be reconciled to God. We're praying that they would be reconciled to God. We're trusting for open doors that we can share your love, that they may be reconciled to God. Because it is your heart, Lord, that all would come into the knowledge of the saving wonder of Jesus. And so truly, Lord, in our hearts, we, we do want to respond. And we see these two doors before us. And at every opportunity, every situation, Lord, help us to choose the door that may be scary, the door that we don't know quite where it goes or where it's going to go or where it's going to lead. But it is the door that brings them closer to Jesus. And we want to step in that door. We want to step through that door. We want to give you an opportunity to work with us and to use us and to use our words and to use the love that we have in our hearts towards people. Use us, Lord, to sow seed in people's lives. Use us, Lord, to water seed in others' lives. Use us where we can to harvest that seed and bring them to a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we say, here we are. We don't always get it right. We don't always know what to say. But as best as we can, Lord, we want to prepare ourselves for these doors. We want to be able to answer people and give them the reason for the hope that we have. And we want to do it graciously. And seasoned with salt, Lord. And so help us, we pray. We stand before you, Lord, acknowledging our need for you and for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we don't want to miss any more opportunities. People are too precious to you to just let them go their own way and not have an opportunity to hear and to feel and to sense the incredible love that you have for them. 
So I want to ask you just in the quietness of this moment, won't you say yes to God? Won't you say yes to being available to be used of Him? And remember, He hears your yes this morning. You know what? He's going to create incredible opportunities for you. He's going to bring people across your path because you've said yes. But then the next step is to begin to share and begin to steer the conversation towards the one who so loves them, who has such an incredible plan and purpose for their lives, who wants to rescue them from the dominion of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the son he loves. We avail ourselves, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would use us wherever we are because this is your heart this is your design, and this is your desire. You're not looking at our abilities. All you're asking for is our availability, and you'll do the rest. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's um, give the Lord a round of applause for Mark. Come on, you can do better than that. It's fantastic word this morning. So challenged. Now the challenge for us, the challenge has been set. So tomorrow, work begins wherever you are. In your workplace, with your friends, your whanau, around a picnic, around just that conversation. Thank you so much, Mark. You've really blessed us this morning. I felt challenged. Um, let's go and do it. Let's not just say amen, but let's go and action it out now. Amen. So um, we're going to actually... We're going to leave the basket here as we do uh, uh, just for koha, for uh, the gift, just to bless you guys. Um, but it's such a privilege having them up here. They've come a long way from Nelson. Nelson is a very long way. Um, but it's great to have you guys here. So blessed. So can we just pray for you guys before you go? Is that all right? Can you guys just come in? Cool. Vern, uh, Tells, when you come. Kevin Nancy, come on up. Let's pray. Can we extend our hands out? Because um, as a, no, they're leading a, a church in Nelson, and they could be down there today, but they just um, said yes to the invitation to come and bless us. So, Father, I want to pray that you would bless them, Lord God, as they've given out today. I want to pray that you would bless their church family, that they'll be, uh, Lord, pray for a great harvest for them, Lord God, as they go out, as they speak about evangelism, Lord God. I pray that you would fill, Lord God, their room, their hall where they meet, Lord God, with many that don't know you, Lord God. I pray for a great season, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for the gift, Lord God, for Mark and for Colette. I pray you bless them, Lord God. Multiply what they're doing. Enlarge their tent, Lord God. And Lord, pray that this next season, Lord God, as they move into it, will be one of enlargement. I just really felt, I saw a picture early on before, and I just wanted to, it was like a, a, a new gust of wind. It's almost like you've been traveling on the same gust of wind, but that when the eagle finds a new gust, it just goes to a new height. Just, uh, it's unexpected, but it does. But uh, for you guys, know that you just it will be unexpected, but you'll feel it. Uh, feel like you're going into that new season. So, see how they use it. Let's give them a round of applause, everyone. Bless you guys. So, Fano, um, please don't rush off. Um, yeah, be blessed. Let's go and do this, eh? Nike got it right. Just do it. Just do it. Bless you all. If you need any prayer afterwards um, for specific, for healing or for anything, just come. We're going to have some leaders up here. We want to pray with you. Um, but please don't just rush off. Bounces. Lock the doors now. But we want to stick around, have some food next door, and also meet some other people. And I'll, my challenge to you, when you're having Kai, sit down with someone that you don't know. That's my challenge this morning, that you don't really know. Okay, thank you all. God bless. Thanks, Mark Collette.